0: i'm jeff gibson
1: and i'm shanna paxton
0: and we are the The movie movie lovers Lovers. welcome to the film faves episode of the official podcast of the gibson review in this episode we are going to be counting down our 12 favorite documentaries For those who aren't familiar, we did make changes to the podcast. This is the second in a... No, a third in the three-episode cycle that we are doing from now on with weekly episodes. Broke up the podcast format into separate episodes. Hopefully that makes it a little more bite-sized for you. And um, the idea is to hopefully make it so we can continue making the podcast with our work schedules that have been going through changes recently so uh, this episode as i mentioned is our favorite documentaries the idea behind film faves is to not only give you a taste in our an idea of our taste in film but also hopefully expose you to films you may not have seen or heard of to that end we will point out as we go along what movies are available on some of the major subscription services streaming services Those include Amazon Prime, Hulu, HBO Max, Netflix, and Disney+. Plus.
1: You got it, Eddie.
0: Right on, right on. Boop, boop, be-doop, boop. All right, so documentaries. This is a whole genre. This is something that dates back all the way to I learned while doing this, the silent era. There's a movie on my, what do you call it, list of shame or what have you, my blind spots, (laughs) called (laughs) Haxon. That is a silent film I've never seen. I didn't know it was a documentary until we were doing this. I did not catch up with that film, but that was from 1922, and that's as far back as I know. Oh, and then uh, Nanook of the North is also considered one of the first documentaries in the silent era. Uh, All the way up to, uh, of course, more recently, only theatrically released movies, uh, movies released theatrically in the United States, uh, always qualify for a film phase list, which makes it interesting in terms of documentaries, because since the dawn of the streaming era, these streamers have needed content to just like fill up their <laughs> their service, right? And so they've like cranked, a super change. yeah, they've cranked out so many documentaries, especially Netflix and and Hulu as well. So Shanna, documentaries, share your thoughts on your experience with documentaries. Have you seen very many? Um, was this a challenge for you to create? Uh, did you have to jump through the hurdles of what's a direct streaming or not? Or what, how did this go for you?
1: Yeah, so I am a fan of documentaries, but I don't really judge whether or not it's theatrically released if it's a topic that i'm interested in i'll check it out Mm -hmm. i just love that this kind of stuff exists uh when i was younger i had a hard time learning through reading and listening but if i was watching and listening to something then it was much easier for me to absorb content sure uh like
0: information yes yeah
1: yes and i've had a lot of fun watch watching documentaries i've been a huge fan of the streaming documentaries because not everyone can get one theatrically released so i found that 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 has been really helpful
0: yeah it's 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 one of those things that's a it's a double-edged sword because it has been great for documentarians you know uh, to be able to reach middle america or urban or rural markets i mean Uh, You know, people who don't have access to a a, a limited release theater, you know, an art house Mm -hmm. theater. It's been really great for that. But on the other hand, you have streamers like Netflix who are like, dump. Like, here's 200 documentaries in a year, you know. And not all of them are quality.
1: No, you're right. Not all of them uh, stick the landing. Because if you're making a documentary, you need to throw out your facts. Throw out things that go against that and either disprove them or just bring them to light but then you have to like drive your point across and I think when it's like a personal story it can go really well with uh, streaming Uh, but otherwise not so much sometimes
0: so uh, I was just I was hoping you were going to talk more because I was just about to refer to our uh, to my I suppose best of the 2010s documentaries article on the gibsonreview.com only because one of the things I did on there I believe if my memory serves is yes I break down there's there's two different types of documentaries typically I, I would say there's three because I I didn't mention the true crime documentary that's that's a whole other thing but there tends to be two that's where
1: a lot of the HBO mm. ones are.
0: There tends to be the Profile Doc, which is a documentary about a, pl- a particular person or their work, which includes such films as Senna, Euro Dreams of Sushi, uh, Whitney, Amy, you know, about Amy Winehouse, so many others. Usually, um, or often, the Profile Doc is focused on a celebrity of some kind, but not always, like uh, Giro Dreams of Sushi. Then you have the journey doc, documentaries that take the viewer on a journey so full of surprises it can be tough to describe the film. Uh, it's often best going in cold to a journey doc and let the story unfold before you. I won't give any examples just in case they end up on one of our lists, but those two tend to be the most prominent and then you have the political documentaries, in addition to uh, the true crime. You have the political documentaries that are examining some sort of topical issue. Um, and and so, what, is there any other type of documentary you can think of that maybe I didn't touch on?
1: I don't know if you really touched on, like, relationship documentaries.
0: Like, what's a really good example of that?
1: Dick Johnson is dead.
0: Mm. Yeah. Isn't that more... Does, wouldn't that fall under the profile documentary?
1: Oh, okay. I think I'm a big fan of profile documentaries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, is that what dominated your your list of favorites?
1: Uh, just briefly looking at it, it looks like, yeah. Mm. Because, you know, it's so it's so easy to learn from one person.
0: Mm, mhm, mhm. And, and it's easy to absorb. Did too. you Did you have like oh okay so there's like with the turn of the century there was the pop doc, right? The documentaries that became very popular, right? Michael Moore was one of Mm. the documentarians that was definitely, Morgan Spurlock with, um, God, what was it? Uh, the, the McDonald's one. I forget what it's called. You know, there's a bunch of size me. Yeah. Thank you. Super size me. Did you have any documentaries on your list? Not, not to name them right now, but any documentaries on your list that existed prior to the age of the pop doc?
1: Yeah, I think I have one, one. that made the list.
0: Mm-hmm. I have. But
1: to be fair, there are so many documentaries out there, and there's only so much time. So this list could change a year from now.
0: True. I have two, three. I have three myself. Uh, so is there anything else you, we should touch on as far as the subject goes before we dive in?
1: No, I think I'm ready to hit the road running.
0: Okay. Okay. So then, why don't you get us started with your twelfth favorite documentary?
1: Okay, so my number twelve might actually qualify <laughs> as not a pop documentary.
0: Oh, yeah, or does sure. It? No, I okay. definitely, definitely not. <laughs> Yeah. shame. (laughs) Again, uh, if I didn't clarify, the era of the pop documentary was pretty much around the uh, turn of the century, you know? Um, Oh, okay. You kind of had a rash of them after that.
1: All right, we're good then. So my number 12 is Baraka from 1992. It's an hour and 36 minutes long, but I think there's director cuts. Mm. I could be wrong. It's a collection of everything that is humanity and the planet and animals and... If you you know if we ever had aliens come to Earth or if we ever went somewhere and we wanted to give them a true document of what it's what it's like to be on planet Earth as a human or an animal, this would be a, a pretty good document to give them,
0: hmm.
1: because they go from filming different religions different practices within those religions that's really unique and special and brings humanity together to showing all the i think it was the shoes from from the holocaust what was left over from the jews that were killed and you know it shows our beautiful treatment of animals and it shows our not so great treatment of animals for our food source so it's very interesting in that it goes in the cycle of you know what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong and it's beautifully filmed it has a wonderful score that doesn't stop and if I remember correctly there aren't any words like there's no one narrating But it's been a while since I've seen this.
0: Yeah, according to Rotten Tomatoes, there's no conventional narrative. It's just uh, footage of people, places, and things from around the world.
1: Well, it's a beautiful film, and it was one of the first things we watched as a class in university when we started studying art. And Hmm. it really opened our minds a little bit to kind of see, well, what impact are we having on the world? And it's just so unique in the way that it unfolds and how it's edited and mixed together. It's beautiful. That's Baraka, and it is not available to stream, unfortunately.
0: So that one's from, uh, from 1992, and it's by Ron Frick, who I just looked up. He's the director of a uh, – sorry, the writer, cinematographer, and editor, sorry, of another documentary that is very experiential, as this sounds like it is. Called Koyan which is a, a title that I saw come up a lot when I was researching documentaries. Mm. I might be thinking list.
1: a little bit of that one as well. I, I just I remember for some reason that there were three hours, but Baraka is an hour and you know
0: yeah they're six. they're both an hour and a half more or less. So we
1: might have double featured it actually. Mm-hmm. In which case, that might be where the chickens are from <laughs> that I'm thinking of.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Very unique pick for sure. My number 12 is very different on the end of the spectrum from that film. It is a 2002 documentary called Comedian by Jerry Seinfeld. It's available oh, on nice. Netflix. This is a documentary about comedy, about stand up comedy in particular, and the art of that and the work that is involved in that. As Seinfeld himself, having finished his his sitcom a few years before and done some stand-up after that, he he wanted to start fresh and start from scratch. And you get some appearances by people like Chris Rock, Gary Shanling, Greg Giraldo, Colin Quinn, George Wallace, Robert Klein... Some big names in comedy talking about the art of stand-up and, and comedy. And at the time, Ornie Adams was an up-and-coming comedian. I don't know if he ever went very far because I don't hear about him these days. But you see him struggling. And I love comedians talking about comedy. I, I just love just something about them talking about it and the the craft of it and how hard the work is that put into it and how seeing people with files and files of jokes that they may or may not have tried.
1: I like seeing Joan Rivers Rivers with her jokes. They're so organized. They're like Mm -hmm. little Dewey Decimal cards.
0: Yeah, so I really love, uh, and, and it has a really great trailer, one of the greatest trailers ever made. You should check that out. It says nothing about the movie whatsoever, but it is definitely entertaining. That is Comedian from 2002, available on Netflix.
1: My next one, Eleven, is available on HBO. It is a trilogy. It is Paradise Lost.
0: You just finished watching this. hmm <laughs> Like right before we uh, started.
1: Yeah, I was pretty, you know, determined to finish it. Uh <laughs> The first one was made in nineteen ninety six, and it just you know basically looks at all the facts and well facts as best you can. The second one is in two thousand, and the third one is in twenty eleven. This was very a very difficult experience because each film was about two hours long, mm-hmm. roundabout. Mm-hmm. So it's six hours.
0: Mm-hmm. What 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 is it about?
1: So it's about. A documentary crew comes into a small town where there was a a very brutal, very vicious murder of three eight-year-old boys. And it really rocked the community, of course. And what ended up happening is three older boys got arrested and tried for the crimes and it's painful to watch because if you are a you know a true crime fan, and if you are aware of court systems, etc., it's infuriating to watch because you can see everything they're doing wrong. It's like watching the John Ramsey case. How they look back on it. It's, there's a, a show about that, and they talk about what we don't do anymore. That's you know, what, what do we do now that preserves evidence as opposed to destroying and making it not viable in court? And you see everything unfold. You see people talking and being interviewed. And it, it just is fascinating in that you're watching these three boys that are, are on trial. They're different ages, but they're boys. They're not uh-huh. adult men. And how they were taken advantage of by the police force because they were being interviewed for like 12 hours mm. without an adult present and only 40 minutes at the end of those 12 hours was recorded was the confession. And so obviously it was it was not a well-obtained confession and it wasn't gotten in the right way. And you just... See how nothing changes. And so I had to go through the second one. And the second one was even more infuriating because you've got um, this dad that is so convinced that these people killed his child. While I understand that, yes, you have to have justice for your children that were killed, if the evidence isn't there, the evidence isn't there and something else went wrong. And so it becomes this journey of well, what did they do wrong? What could they have done better? Uh, What is justice? Mm -hmm. And so I, I feel like this is a good pairing with my number 10, which we'll get to later. So that's Paradise Lost, available on HBO.
0: Very cool. My number 11 is from 1996. It is Looking for Richard by Al Pacino. It is Al Pacino's examination of Shakespeare's Richard III. And he examines it through interviews on the street with people and really deconstructing with fellow actors in different performances, be it a table read or a, a dress, like full on costumed uh, performance of the play, and really breaks that play down. It stars Alec Baldwin, Kevin Spacey, Harris Yulin, Kevin Conway, Estelle Parsons, Winona Ryder, a long list of actors appear in this and are, are just tr- completely put their trust in Al Pacino and and examine that play with him and I think it's absolutely fascinating. If you're a fan of Shakespeare, at all if you're a fan of the stage if you're a fan of examining like a uh, literary analysis or anything like that if you're a fan of acting it's a a great documentary and very well done it's always stuck with me since i saw it in high school that is looking for richard from 1996
1: my number 10 pairs well with the previous one mentioned it is the central park five from 2012
0: oh yeah Mm -hmm. this
1: one you know examines the 1989 case of five black and latino teenagers that were accused and convicted of raping a white woman in central park and all the bullshit that went with it Mm -hmm. they spent six to 13 years each in prison and later a rapist confessed to the crime so it becomes this Yeah, let me show you how corrupt our justice system is, and how if we're basically claiming people did something without evidence by taking out ads in newspapers, how that can well, that's what they did. They took an ad out, and some people took ads out in newspapers and said, "Oh, arrest them, arrest them," but they 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 weren't even a part of the case. Okay, you know, so this very strange community infection. That uh, can occur, uh-huh. and uh, I think like a, a
0: mom mentality.
1: Yeah. Uh huh. So I just I think it's interesting that in Paradise Lost we're seeing three poor white boys being accused of something, and then in uh, Central Park Five we're seeing black and Latino men being accused.
0: Hmm. Very and cool.
1: Very interesting circumstances and kind of similarities.
0: Excellent film, definitely. My number ten. I, I I hope this is right. I'm I'm like so I'm like 90% sure about my ranking of my favorite documentaries, <laughs> but it's like ah uh, uh, this is a this is one of the greatest documentaries I've ever seen. It is 1970s Woodstock available on HBO Max. It is a, a documenting of the famous uh, piece love and rock and roll festival in 1969 this movie came out a year later directed by michael wadley and it you know it shows the performances by the likes of joan Baez, richie havens joe cocker roger well i should say the the who um country joe and the fish Shawna na crosby stills and nash so many of the greats from the 60s and it really makes clear like how one-of-a-kind unique this festival was in, in the sense of how it was able to successfully bring so many people together with very little incident and how that can never happen again. And, and, and people have tried, and it, it's always ended in disaster in some way or tragedy in in one way or another
1: very special and unique time
0: uh yeah yeah and you can't recapture it and the music is fantastic it is absolutely worth every minute of the documentary which is like three hours around the three hour mark but it is excellent i absolutely love it woodstock from 1970 available on hbo max
1: my number nine is The Punk Singer.
0: Really? Yeah,
1: from 2013. Ah, very uh, cool. This is all about the life and career of Bikini Kill and La Tigre singer Kathleen Hanna, which I know you're a big fan of. Mm. It's hard not to watch all the musician documentaries because... They typically have like an archive of footage, mm. which is what I enjoy doing. Okay. But like I don't want to have a list of twelve musician oh, documentaries. As your favorites. Yeah, you know? Okay. So I, I try to limit it. I just allowed one or two on. So you're saying you could have
0: had a list of I could've just could have just, really, just that.
1: Yeah. Which, which is weird, right?
0: It's fascinating for you because you I'm so famous, particular. Well, you famously don't like music or rock music that's a little you, harsh no 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 like you famously don't like rock music you like you prefer film scores and you're extremely reluctant to to actually claim any musician as your favorite why what is it about this type of documentary that appeals to you and why this one is one of your favorites
1: this one specifically because they're looking at why there was a right-goal movement mm. what and what their intention was mm-hmm. and i think that that's what kind of lacks for me sometimes when I'm having a hard time connecting with a particular genre of music Mm. is I need to know why. What is the response? Like, Mm. why are they creating this the way they are? Mm. You know, like, I used to hate... I, I, I do I just do like a lot of music because I feel like most of the time when they're using their words, I don't like that. Like I'll hear a piece of music mm-hmm. and it'll start and I'm like, oh, that's so nice. And then someone will ruin it with their mouth. So wow. <laughs> that's just how I feel. But if I go and I see a documentary and, uh, about that movement... And how, why it was so important, mm. you know, then I'm, I'm like more tolerant and I have more purpose when I'm stepping into listening to it. And th- most of the music documentaries that I've watched have been really damn good because they have, they're showing you footage of generally that whole musician's career mm. most of the time if they're tackling it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Then they're interviewing them in between, and they're interviewing others that were involved and why it was important. And I like hearing why something was important. And they did that really well in this film, and it's only like an hour and a half.
0: Right. You should check out the Bob Dylan documentaries. Those are those When are I'm ready great. to
1: tackle the music documentaries yeah. again, I will.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we should go see Moon Age Daydream about David Bowie, uh, too, which just Yeah, I totally
1: out. want to watch that.
0: My ninth favorite documentary is one I've talked about before a couple times, at least on this podcast. It's from 2006. It's probably one of my favorite 2006 movies. It is Shut Up and Seen, which it basically chronicles what happened to the, the chicks, then known as the Dixie Chicks.
1: Oh, that's a really good one.
0: When, yes, when Natalie Maines said that they were ashamed that George W. Bush is from their home state of Texas because at that time, George W. Bush was leading us into a war in Iraq over dubious claims of there being weapons of mass destruction there, which history eventually proved was full of shit. At any rate, this movie is not really about the politics, and, and it's not even necessarily about the chicks themselves it's really about how someone spoke out and 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 used their freedom of speech and the reaction the the a large population of the country had in response and Mm. it was not good and it was pretty ugly and I find it fascinating, and I think it's it's a, a great documentary about that time, and it's a great documentary about how important it is to question those in power and what they are what they are doing and leading our country into at mm. times. So anyway, I could talk a lot more about this, but I won't.
1: I will say that in the third part of the Paradise Lost trilogy, Dixie Chicks do make an appearance <laughs> because they were speaking out to wrongful imprisonment. Huh. And
0: <laughs> huh.
1: it was very interesting how they were mentioned. Interesting. In
0: so that is Shut Up and Scene from 2006. That's my ninth favorite documentary.
1: My number eight is Camera Person from 2016. And it is available to stream on HBO. Yay.
0: Hmm.
1: And it is a Criterion film
0: right it got added to the collection and so yeah
1: so exciting now i want it this film is really unique in that Kristen johnson's taking a bunch of you know like a decade or two's worth 25 years worth of footage from different areas different stories that she was working on and it's an opportunity of, for her to really dive into and talk about the ethics of being a documentarian. There's one particular scene that I'll share where something like a five or six-year-old is going to help chop wood. And you can see how she's like, oh, do I do something? I feel like I need to step in. I can't step in. I really feel like I need to get in there. And it Mm-hmm. Everything works out. It's all going to be fine. Nobody loses a finger or anything. But it it's just so interesting to see that end of things because that Well, and often we see document documentaries as documentaries, we don't Often see the documentarian, so this is really unique in that we're seeing the documentarian and we're seeing how she's griping with like like battling with do I step in, don't I step in, uh-huh. beyond the whole I have the story to tell about these people that are being treated badly, or during a war or something to like this little toddler that looks like he's gonna chop his head off. So it's very interesting.
0: Yeah, now these are excerpts from uh, documentaries that she shot footage for, as I understand it. And yes, as a documentarian, you're supposed to have this ethic of not being part of the subject, not affecting the subject. And, and so, as such, you're supposed to observe anything that happens, no matter what it is, right? So that's, that's a fascinating moment from an interesting and unique documentary, for sure. That's a great pick, camera person. My eighth favorite is Joan Rivers, A Piece of Work. From 2010, we come back to comedy and the work involved in comedy. And nobody, it seems to me, nobody worked harder than Joan Rivers, who was, God, at least in her 70s at this point and still doing stand-up to pay bills. I mean, she had a certain way of living. And in order to pay for that, she had to work hard, because uh, it was not inexpensive to do so. Well,
1: and how cool is it that she was like constantly trying to do her passion to earn that money? She wasn't taking a break from that and doing something else.
0: And she was a pioneer in, as as a uh, comedian, as a female comic, and and also she didn't she really spoke her mind too. I mean there's some really great moments of her doing stand-up and being heckled, essentially, and and talking back to the heckler, you know? So I think it's a fascinating documentary. It's it's, it's one that made me a fan of someone I wasn't a fan of previously, really. It, It
1: does make you fall in love with her.
0: Yeah, so that's Joan Rivers, A Piece of Work from 2010.
1: My number eight is available on Prime from 2019. It is One Child Nation. After becoming a mother, a filmmaker uncovers the untold history of a, of China's one-child policy and the generations of parents and children forever shaped by the social experiment. And that's, it's a, it's, you know, you probably could have dived deeper, but I do feel like a lot was dealt with and explained here. I grew up knowing about, oh, you can only have one child if you're in China. And I never understood like, oh, well, if you're, if it, what if you get pregnant? Mm-hmm. what if you have twins what what happens then and they deal with that and the I documentary does the documentary does you know there's a there's a lot of hard scenes to look at mm-hmm. and there's a lot of hope that comes out of it as well mm. but this is a very a very traumatizing experiment as they say mmm. Hurting parents, hurting children so badly.
0: So that is your number seven uh, favorite documentary. My number seven favorite documentary is Won't You Be My Neighbor? from 2018, available on Netflix. And I think a big part of this film is the emotional experience that comes with it i think that's one reason why it's it's a favorite of mine you know it's a documentary of course that details fred rogers and and talks about his life and career and the impact that he had the ethos he had where he came from as a children's programming um figure and it's it's excellent and beautiful i mean it's one of those things where even the trailer kind of can can choke me up it's so beautiful <laughs>
1: didn't this make us cry several times in the theater the trailer
0: oh the tra- trailer <laughs> yeah. yes yes and i and it was one of easily one of my most anticipated movies of that year because of that trailer and mm-hmm. and the film also moved me a, a time or two as well yeah it's a beautiful film won't you be my neighbor is my seventh favorite documentary you can find it on netflix
1: my number six is fanny the right to rock
0: Really? That shot up to your sixth favorite.
1: Yeah. And I just relooked at my list. And I'm like, actually, there's a total of three musician huh. <laughs> documentaries in here. Okay. Because it has so much purpose to it, right? Okay. Yeah. So this one is on my list because uh, I'll read the description. Fanny, the right to rock reveals the untold story of the Filipina-American garage band. All uh, All female. American Garage Band, that morphed into the ferocious rock group Fanny, who almost became the female Beatles. And we watched this actually, like, what, two weeks ago?
0: Yes. Yes. It was a recent discovery. I, I was aware of Fanny, just uh, for a second as, as, uh, as background here. I was aware of Fanny. I had their box set at one point because it was billed to me as the first all-female rock band. So uh, I was aware of their music and then when I stumbled across this I thought you would be interested in checking it out as well.
1: Absolutely. I loved watching this. I thought that it was just heartbreaking that there were a lot, the majority of the population doesn't know about them. Yes. And then, you know, they obviously were following the band members, were following, you know, what was their journey yeah. as a band, what what happened after the band, and they come together to record a new album. Yes. And so it's this <laughs> lovely, very loving, very... It's very warm. Very grateful to be together. mm and you know these women are i don't know what what were they like 60s 70s years old
0: yeah, i don't know i want to say 60s
1: okay and the way that they just come together and love each other and and start playing again and writing music mm-hmm. is just such a beautiful thing to experience and then when we see people who have now discovered them how happy they are that they have them and this is
0: In the documentary.
1: Yes. And this is specifically Filipino girls that are discovering them. Mm. They're like, how did I not know about this? This is very upsetting. Yeah. And they're just a beautiful group. They have wonderful things to say. And it was a a very lovely documentary, spending a lot of time highlighting women in their 60s. Mm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So that's Fanny, The Right to
0: Rock. Very Cool. And I can't remember. Did we rent that one? Or? We had to
1: rent it. Okay. All, yeah. right, all
0: right. So my sixth. It's worth it. <laughs> my sixth favorite is Fahrenheit 9-11. The first Michael Moore movie on my list uh, from 2004. You know, I, 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 it's a toss up at times for me between this one and Sicko. I think that Sicko is a better film in its execution than Fahrenheit nine 11, just because Michael Moore in this film is a little bit, he has a little bit more of an agenda with this one. And he's, he's a little smug at times and sometimes he's a little more theatrical in this film, but it's one of the best films about our nation's tragedy and examining what happened and what happened afterwards and how it really had ripple effects throughout the country Mm. and it is a fantastic document by someone who is always looking at our country with the purpose of us being better He, you know knowing that we can be better as a country and examining um what happened in our country that makes us fall short of that Mm. in in various subjects throughout his career so Fahrenheit 9-11 I think is an exceptional uh, documentary it is my sixth favorite
1: I really like him he's one of my favorite documentarians Mm. so my number five is Finding Vivian Meyer from 2013 it is one that I'm super passionate about and have to shut my mouth sooner rather than later to not like spoil anything because it is a journey film. Ah. They're trying to figure out certain things and it's looking at depending on what description you read. (laughs) If you read all the descriptions, it'll be spoiled for you, Mm. but go with this. It's about a real estate agent that finds these photographs that he's hoping are going to contribute to a project he's working on. It doesn't, but he finds the work so beautiful this documentary street photographer who has a lot of self portraits. And we know it becomes this search for who is this person? Who were these families that she was photographing? Mm. And you know, why, why did she never have an exhibit? And Ah. it becomes this, he, he dives into this journey more and more and it's just beautiful. And it's about a photographer that never had their work published. Like, and What's great is he takes it a step further. Mm. and you can watch the documentary to, to see how he makes things right for Vivian because it's finding Vivian Meyer. so
0: <laughs> That's the name of the document documentary. My fifth favorite is one of the earliest documentaries, theatrically released documentaries I've ever seen. And it's, uh, it's one of my older documentaries on my list. 1974. It is Hearts and Minds, available mm-hmm. on HBO Max. This was shown to me by my U.S. history teacher, and it had a huge impact on me. It blew my mind. There is imagery in this film that depending on how old you are when you see it, it will make a huge impact on you and just will not forget uh, this film as a result. It is essentially an examination of the Vietnam War. It is directed by Peter Davis, and it was very it was kind of a landmark film at the time because of how unflinching it was and how it just it it, it was very dared to show you things the about the reality of the Vietnam war that you didn't really see even though you know much of the war was televised on the news it was the first war to be televised on the news but you get interviews from people from all over the the whole war situation, of veterans, wounded vets, and, and more. And it is an exceptional documentary. One of the greatest, that is Hearts and Minds. It's available in the Criterion Collection, but you can also find it on HBO Max. Shanna, what is your fourth favorite documentary?
1: Oh my gosh, I'm smiling and like tearing up about it right now. My number four is Searching for Sugar Man. And this is one of those where there's a journey involved and you're going to want to read nothing about it. Mm -hmm. I'm hesitant to say anything about it. What I can say that seems pretty safe is two South Africans are on a journey to figure out what happened to one of their favorite musicians, Rodriguez, who had a huge impact on apartheid South Africa in the 1970s, whose music...
0: Yeah, His not music yeah.
1: had a huge impact during apartheid in the 1970s you know, their determination and their love for this man and to try and find out who he was, what happened to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and his music is stunning. The way it's shot is beautiful. Mm-hmm. You get to hear uh, a couple accents similar to mine. So why not just <laughs> go ahead and rent it and have yourself a blast? And this also falls in the musician category. It's true. So holy cow, three musician documentaries in here. That is Searching for Sugar Man, my number four.
0: My number four is a movie that I I was actually surprised did not fall, did did not get included in my hundred favorite movies of all time because, and and it's a little surprising that it's not my number one because it is one that I've talked about a lot and I'm very passionate about and is one of the greatest documentaries of its decade. It is The Fog of War. Also known as The Fog of War, 11 Lessons from the Life of Robert S. McNamara. It is by Errol Morris. It is almost practically just Robert S. McNamara talking to the camera. But there's a lot of footage of younger Robert S. McNamara when he was the Secretary of Defense under JFK and Lyndon Johnson. It's from 2003, and it was so topical of the time because it was like this guy who has been in, in it. He has been in it. Who has led, helped led the country into a war that we shouldn't have been in. Basically saying, this is what you need to watch out for, and these are the lessons I learned, and you need to heed these lessons so we don't repeat these mistakes as our country was about to repeat those mistakes. And it is great when you have that context, as well as just hearing what McNamara has to say. You also Mm -hmm. have the Philip Glass score, which is one of my favorite scores of all time, and all the archive footage. It's, It's exceptional work by Errol Morris. The Fog of War is my fourth favorite documentary of all time.
1: My number three might surprise you, honey. It's Woodstock.
0: Wow. That is that is. <laughs> oh, wait, a this is a
1: fourth music
0: <laughs> Yeah, it documentary. is. Yeah, what yeah.
1: the heck? It's a third on my list. But well, it's not a
0: profile of a particular <laughs> no, one. No. But still, that is a surprise to see it so high on your list. And
1: you've already spoken a lot about it. But I will say that I like, we figured out that I think I like the director's cut, like over three hours, three hours and 40 minutes worth of footage
0: right that is true it's It's
1: intense but it's just so beautiful the process from a filmmaking perspective having all these different camera crew members covering this massive event and I am passionate about event photography myself that's part of the specialty of my business and so watching this documentary um (sighs) i'm sorry watching this documentary about what
0: sorry it's the way you're accenting the word where you're putting the emphasis it's really funny Why documentary documentary,
1: documentary. <laughs> <laughs> anyway we're gonna try and focus here just i love this film because it weaves together all these different people who were filming different things, different interactions. This wasn't just a music festival. This was like a festival of people uh, coming together, sharing in a drum circle, sharing a little bit of weed, (laughs) sharing, (laughs) sharing love. I just absolutely adore watching it, even though it's this massive film <laughs> this like huge mm-hmm. length of investment sure it's worth in it's worth watching at least once if not more than once and just watching how people care about each other in this film is one of my favorite and i think that this is the film where they say hey they make an announcement and they're like guys there's some bad lsd going around oh. Don't take the LSD. Right. So they know that something is there that's bad, but they announce, yeah. you know, and I just love that open honesty about it. Yeah. So that's Woodstock.
0: So it turns out my four favorite documentaries are currently not available on any streaming service uh, that we focus on or highlight. So bear that in mind. But we're getting into now... Movies that are included in my 100 favorite movies of all time, which you can read on thegibsonreview.com under Film Faves. This is my 85th favorite film of all time. My third favorite documentary is 2002's Bowling for Columbine, which Mm. I think is Michael Moore's greatest film because he's at his best when he's not being smug, when he's not being theatrical <laughs> uh, when, you know, he's not leading the the audience in any way, and when he's actually on a journey of his own, and he thinks that he knows what he's going to do with this documentary, but like what happens in, in the course of filming many documentaries, things take a left turn, and, and what you think is true ends up not being true, at least for the documentary, and and this is a film that examines our country's obsession with guns and what can be done about gun violence, and it, and it uses like uh, the tragedy of April twentieth, 1999's Columbine incident in what's it called, uh, Colorado, as kind of the anchor for this examination. And you'd think it's going to be very heavy as a result of that, but Michael Moore is an extremely talented documentarian, so it's actually very, it's very funny often. It's including, and and also in addition to being insightful and eye-opening, and at times quite moving. So that is Bowling for Columbine from 2002, my third favorite documentary of all time.
1: My number two is Dick Johnson is dead. and this, Really? Yeah. I had
0: no idea you loved this movie so much. I
1: really did because it's, it, it's so unique in yes. how it's shot and put uh-huh. together. Mm-hmm. You know, there's these glorious glitter, well, uh, t- like foil confetti moments. Uh-huh. And the concept is unique. Uh-huh. So Christ- yes, Kristen is. Johnson is helping her father come to terms with his death. And so he, well, you know, he's lived most of his life in Seattle. Yes. And now he's reached the point in his life where he needs to move in with her and she's on the East Coast. Right. And so they're getting ready to move. And
0: not that he's in, at this point, any dire condition. No.
1: It's just, it's time to come on over, yeah. be close to family. Yeah. And they go through this process of, well, you can have a funeral in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating. Mm. And she has moments that are very true and honest, like this pretend funeral, even though that sounds contradictory. There's moments where people share very, Uh very honestly and openly and some cry and... Moments where she's exploring the idea of what would heaven look like. Uh And there's beautiful, luscious backdrops and cotton cloud props and uh, people singing like choir-esque and just angelic tunes. And so and then it bounces to like, well, what is her dad like on a bad day? Uh And so I just find the whole thing beautiful. It makes me miss my dad. And I'm going to try not to think about that and try not to cry,
0: mm. but
1: it it makes you realize, as the child who has a aging parent, how you need to be more responsive and more there for them. Mm. So that is Dick Johnson is dead, which, by the way, I wouldn't mind having a copy for Christmas. Just saying.
0: I believe that's in the collection, also the Criterion collection. As I well. would not
1: mind having that right now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> My second favorite is one that you talked at length about, so I'll be fairly brief about. Oh, okay. It is my 77th favorite film of all mm. time, Searching for Sugar Man from 2012. and he, It's a great journey, as you said. And also, it really helps that what they say about the music is true it is exceptional music it's it's extraordinarily written it's 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 this guy could have been up there with bob dylan yeah if 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 things went differently you know that definitely helps the film yeah. you know i i do recommend as shanna said go in blind because it is quite the journey don't if look up not, anything da- don't it and it's quite a rewarding experience and one i'm i'm grateful for and love so much that is searching for sugar man from 2012 it is my second favorite documentary shanna mm. what is your favorite documentary of all time
1: this is hard a mm. hard category mm. to, to try and guess oh
0: i have i yeah. mean like i wouldn't have guessed that woodstock i wouldn't have guessed that dick johnson is dead your second favorite right? you know like Jesus. I have no idea. Is it... I don't think you've even mentioned a Michael Moore documentary yet. Is it a Michael Moore documentary? It is. Is it Bowling for Columbine? It is.
1: Good job, honey.
0: Really? Okay. (laughs) Tell us about that. Why is that? So you've
1: spoken about what this film is about. Yeah. And how great Michael Moore is in this... With creating this film. Okay. And I like... I like most of his films. Okay. But as a South African who's coming to live in America, who's been here for 11 years, which is only a third of my life, basically. Uh The whole school shooting and obsession with guns is a concept that's difficult to understand as an outsider. Mm. And even if you've lived here for over a decade, it's still a difficult one to grasp. Mm -hmm. And I think we've watched this film, you and me together, I think we've watched it three times Mm. over the past decade or so yeah and when we watched it most recently with our son it really affected me more deeply than it has the previous two viewings because Mm. the first viewing it's like well i just i just don't get it i don't get why there's this obsession and why there's school shootings and then the second time it's like okay i'm starting to grasp the concept a little more huh the third time I watched it, it was just incredibly enraging and upsetting. And mm. I actually had a therapy session right in between. So I actually had to step away when oh, oh. we get to the part about the actual Columbine uh-huh. shootings.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I spoke to my therapist about it. And I was just like, I don't, I just, I just don't understand why there are no changes And I had also watched This Flat Earth, which is about the aftermath for a teenager dealing with a school shooting. Mm. And I think the way the film is put together is really great. He goes and visits with various different people, Mm -hmm. various walks of life. You know, he gets to speak to the passionate gun owners that want the right to carry their guns. Uh Uh-huh cool he goes and speaks to people that don't want any of that and everything in between Uh and i find myself feeling rather guilty because in the beginning of the film i laughed a lot Uh (laughs) i was like wait a second and then you know he you know he wants you to feel comfortable i think i think he wants you to feel open Uh to to what he's going to show you and he does a really good job of doing that and then he shows you the hard stuff and then he goes and he kind of shows you other things that you know, either support it or are in the middle or don't. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of his best films. And I think it's one of the best films when you're trying to understand something as unique of a problem as that is in America.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Very well said. My favorite documentary...
1: Is it a music one? No. Oh, okay. I have no idea.
0: I will say... So this is, again... On my hundred favorite oh. movies of all time, oh, and I will say I was surprised that this ended up being my favorite, but I I'm okay with that. I I get it.
1: Is it the one with all the killings?
0: The act of killing? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. All one right. of the greatest documentaries of the past decade, but yeah, no, no, it's not my my favorite.
1: Oh, is it Roger <sighs> and Me? Sorry, one more guess.
0: No, it's not. No.
1: Okay, just shut me up.
0: Okay. <laughs> it's okay. It is Life Itself from 2014. Oh, that's
1: what I meant to say.
0: My <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Apparently, it's my 61st favorite movie of all time. It is about Roger Ebert.
1: See this is I I got confused between Roger and me because Roger and then Roger Ebert. So I meant to say life itself, but my brain short circuited.
0: Actually, surprised Roger and me wasn't on your list, but we'll come back to that. So Roger Ebert, a film uh, critic that I grew up with. I grew up with Siskel and Ebert, and and uh, you know he he became one of the top critics. For, I don't know, of all time, I guess. I don't know. He's up there with Pauline kale and, and so mm. many others, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I found myself really emotionally attached with this film. And it really... I, I don't know if it it's that it captures the love of film that I share. If it's just my affinity... For Roger Ebert, I talk a little bit about him in my write up in my my favorite movies of all time. But the film expresses Ebert's love of cinema as well as his life. And there are a few films that are able to express the love of cinema the way that this film does. I think uh, Martin Scorsese's Hugo is another film mm. that is able to capture that as well. Yeah, life itself was a very is very personal for me and and moved me to tears and I really love the film. Uh, so it is my favorite documentary of all time. So Shanna, before we wrap up, what were some other documentaries you might have considered that didn't that just fell off the list?
1: Uh, stop making sense, and then his <gasps> other one. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you say stop making sense? The the talking heads documentary? Yes.
0: Wow. And then the utopia one, American Utopia. Yeah. Wasn't, didn't you like, I thought you didn't like one of those.
1: No, I liked both of them. You know, like, I love the process <laughs> that musicians go through. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, I really love that. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe if you show me a, uh, a whole bunch of musicians. Maybe I'll land on one that I like, but I think that's why I kind of lean towards pink if I'm going to pick one. Uh, Roger and Me, really great about the, you know, the motor industry and GM specifically fucking people over. Uh-huh. It's true. The September issue, Sicko. Uh-huh. And uh, th- there's probably others that I'm just not thinking of right now. But there's also TV show documentaries that I'm very, very fond of. That some more than movies.
0: Hmm. I had 140 theatrically released documentaries I've seen uh, to choose from. And so as you can imagine, there was a handful that I was struggling with with this list. And I'll run through them. Minding the Gap was just outside the list.
1: That's a very good one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Dig, which is a music doc. You should uh, check that one out. That is partially about oh, what were they called? Oh no, I just forgot. <laughs> it's about two bands: Brian Jonestown Massacre and the Dandy Warhols. The Dandy Warhols. Oh, the Dandy Warhols. And okay. kind of their rivalry. It's such an excellent documentary. Dear Zachary, another journey slash true crime movie that I will say very little about, but it will emotionally Sounds wreck you.
1: Like I need to watch that one. I thought you saw that
0: one, but. Maybe not. Amy, about Amy Winehouse.
1: That's a really good
0: one, yeah. Um, Hail Satan.
1: Yes, that one's brilliant.
0: That is very fun and very cool. The Queen of Versailles, I considered.
1: A good one to pair up with Grey Gardens.
0: Yes, Weaned migration is one of the mm. most beautiful experiential uh, documentaries I've ever seen. That is about birds, essentially, <laughs> and flies. With it is like one of those how did they do that kind of documentaries. And sicko, all of those were favorites of mine that I considered for this list, mm. but I could only have twelve. And so there you have it. Mm -hmm. But what are your favorite documentaries? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Shanna, before we talk about the next cycle of episodes and what people can expect from the movie lovers, why don't you share with them where they can find you online?
1: You can find me on Instagram, Shanna Paxton Photography, and on the chart, Spellbinding A.
0: Go to thegibsonreview.com. That has everything. You'll find my list of favorite movies on there. You'll find recent reviews, not of new releases, but articles that I've done, like, uh, about James Bond movies, about Disney movies, about Hepburn and Tracy movies, soon about Nightmare on Elm Street movies and that series. Uh, You'll find episodes of The Movie Lover. So much stuff, so much content, so much reading. Go check it out, thegibsonreview.com. Also, you can follow on facebook.com slash thegibsonreview or on Instagram, thegibson99. I do bracket polls there. I will do a bracket poll of your favorite documentary of all time. We recently did your favorite 2000s movie and The Dark Knight uh, Triumphed overall above kill bill actually was the second favorite <laughs> came kind of close for a little while there uh, big surprise that uh that lord of the rings was eliminated and ended up being tied for your 10th favorite with spider-man uh very interesting i think but dark knight as it has won every poll it is in it won once again as your favorite 2000s movie but follow along for more fun at the Gibson, at the Gibson ninety nine on Instagram. Okay, Shanna. Here's what we got coming up: we got the weekend review, the beginning of our cycle where we talk about what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode of the weekend review, and then we will have our. Uh, the, you can find that by the way. That one I think is on Tuesday, October eleventh, and then. We will have a review of Amsterdam in the following week. That will be available on October 18th. And then Film Phase will be our favorite horror movies. You can find that on Tuesday, October 25th. So I'm looking forward to this cycle. I'm really looking forward to Amsterdam. I'm really looking forward to talking about horror movies. I think it'll be a very interesting topic for you, considering there's a lot of types of horror movies you avoid. And actually, same for me, because I'm kind of squeamish. So that'll be interesting.
1: I bet we're going to have fairly different lists with just minimal crossover.
0: Maybe, maybe, yeah. So those are the dates. You can look forward to those episodes Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shannon saying, bye-bye.